We're going to jump into our, our series, and we've been teaching a series on, on the Beatitudes, and if, if you're not familiar with it, it's a fancy word for a bunch of statements that Jesus makes, and Jesus makes it on the longest sermon that he gives, and again, the Sermon on the Mount, people think, it's, oh, it's just he talked for 10 or 15 hours straight, and it's more likely that he did it on several nights in a row. But this great sermon, he started out with these eight statements that are really countercultural. They go against what our world tells us to do, and even what the world in Jesus' time would have told them to do. They're things we can live out, we can express them and show God to other people. They allow us to say to someone, even in the, the bad time you're in, you can have joy. And I know that because I'm standing in the mess right beside you. I've got the same issues. I've got the same problems. Yet I have joy inside of me. And the Bible says it's, it's joy not based on feel good or emotions. It's joy based on a result of something working in us. And we know that as the Bible. All of these statements point to two things. They point to to the only true source of happiness, and they point toward God always has more. On the table of life, no matter where you are in life, whether you're just starting a family or maybe you're in the grandparent phase enjoying your grandkids, the Bible says that there's always more. For if you're going through a bad day, the Bible says, hey, there's, there's more to good to come after this. You're not stuck in this. And this is what Jesus is pointing to, really, in all of these statements. We did the first one was blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And this is simply saying, hey, I bring nothing to the table. Like, God, I need you, and without you, I got nothing to offer. That in my messed up, fallen, dirty state, God, I need you to come in and um, make a way where there is no way. Then last week we did blessed are those who mourn. That happiness, even on our worst days, is possible because we will see these three things, provision, purpose, and God's presence. He's always given us provision to succeed. He's always created us with a purpose, and he's never leaving us or forsaken us. The Bible says he'll show up no matter where we are. And then for today, another one that I think is really misunderstood, and it uses a word that can be really interpreted several different ways. But whichever way you choose, our world views today's, um, views today's beatitude, the statement Jesus makes, as um, really just the opposite, as opposing to what is truth in the world. And that's this in Matthew chapter 5. It says, blessed are the meek, for they, and then it makes this curious statement that we'll talk about in a minute, for they will inherit the earth. Well, the word meek gives us a problem. Other versions in the Bible, um, some translate it as humble, some translate it as meekness. Um, but it goes against the culture of today. You see, meekness and humbleness seem to directly oppose or in direct opposition to what we think the world tells us is power and strength. Like they're exclusive, to you can, mutually exclusive. You can't have one and the other. It's not possible for somebody to be meek and humble, yet powerful and strong. It's not possible for somebody to be meek and humble and have authority and have a spine, you know, and stand up for what's right and do what's right. The world will tell you that you, it's one or the other. 
But the world also says that's how you obtain things. You obtain things and you get places by being strong and running over people. And, and your might it's, makes away at all costs and the, the carnage that you may cause is just part of the process. See, that's not true. Because the truth of the matter is, and we'll see this in the Bible, meekness is not weakness. We see pictures of Jesus that are painted and, um, you know, he's always real sunken face and real puny and, and, and scrawny. But truthfully, history and the stories of Jesus don't confirm that. That this word that they're using in, in Matthew 5, in fact, is just the opposite. Meekness is, in fact, strength, power, under control. Meekness is the ability, I've got all the skills, but I'm able to use them appropriately. I'm able to, to keep it under control, submitted to something else. As a matter of fact, this word, the word they use in the Greek used to describe an animal or a wild animal that was tamed and then under the control of someone. And that's, that's what this word meant. That just because somebody takes a, a lion from the, uh, from the wild and trains it and they can control the lion in some fashion and telling it what to do and it obeys, is that lion now weak? Should you be just as afraid of that lion now as before? Yes, it will still eat you. And it's, it, but yet, we can't, for us as humans, you can't do that. You can't be meek and strong. You know, I watched a, uh, I love documentaries, especially on all the you men and women who served us overseas. I was able to hang out this weekend, actually on Wednesday and Thursday, no, Thursday, Friday, with a guy who was, who served our country at three tours in Iraq, was way into like the secret squirrel stuff and stuff that nobody knows going on. And I just, I was just eating it up because it's, it's, it's so much of history that we never get to hear and probably shouldn't even <laughs> even told me. Um, but it reminded me of a documentary that I watched called, um, you can find it online or YouTube, it's called War Dogs. And it's about these, these special forces who go into combat with these specially trained war dogs. And even more than, than like law enforcement canines, these dogs have to function on such minute commands, eye movements, head tilts, hand, and it's amazing to watch them take these dogs that are just vicious and have incredible power and they can just move their hand or they walk. No matter what shape or form they walk in, the dog stays between their legs. The dog that can sniff out bombs can attack somebody and save a life. And as I was, as I was watching it, or as I was reading this, I thought back to that. That the, the dog only acted when the handler, or the, the dog was submitted to the handler, and then it did only what the dog, only what the handler told it to do. See, Jesus again was portrayed as weak and wimpish. When in fact, the Bible says exactly the opposite. The Bible actually says that God, he was fully man and fully God. He, I truly believe he was a man's man. There's stories in the, a story in the New Testament 
you might be familiar with it, where Jesus goes into the temple and they're basically selling stuff on church property, making, and they're just, um, it's just sacrilege. And Jesus had enough. And Jesus did not go in and say, no, can you please stop? Come on, stop. No, no, stop. The Bible says he went in and flipped tables and cleaned house and like, y'all are out. And so, and, but at the same time, the Bible says of Jesus that the disciples kept having to, kept thinking they had to chase children off because Jesus was followed around by children because the same power had such, such meekness and humbleness that the kids, the kids were drawn to him. And I, Jesus actually says, hey, it's going to be a bad day for you if you try to forbid one of the kids to come to me. So the Bible's clear. Jesus was totally obedient and submitted to the Father. He had, the Bible says, God gave him all the power that he had, God gave to Jesus. Yet he was submitted to the Father. John explains it this way, John 5. Jesus is actually saying this. It says, Jesus explained, So the Son can do nothing by himself, that he only does what he sees the Father doing, or sees God demonstrating. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. You see, a meek person is someone who understands that submission to God, really even, I would say, submission to authority is not a sign of weakness. We view that if you're in the military or maybe you're in law enforcement and you have rank, yes, you submit to the rank above you. That's okay. But when I, as a man, a civilian, say I'm submitted to God and I'm going to do what he tells me to do and only what he tells me to do, then somehow I'm weak and spineless and, and somebody's controlling me. And that's just not true. That's not what God is talking about when he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Humbleness is about serving people. Meekness is about serving people. Having the power and the ability to do it and letting God use that power and ability to make a difference. That it's not about me. I read a story, I, had, I was traveling this week, and I, I came back and added this in because it was, I didn't know this. This is a true story. During the American Revolution, there were a group of soldiers rebuilding a defensive wall, all in uniform. And a man in civilian clothes walks up on this and sees this. And he notices that one of the men in uniform um, was barking orders at all the other men. Yet he was sitting in the shade not doing a thing. He was telling them what to do. Hey, that's wrong. Hey, that's crooked. Move this. And he said, these guys are working hard. And the man walks up and says and asks the man, he says, why aren't you helping? And the, man, and the, the soldier responds to the man who asked, who was in civilian clothes. He said, because I'm a corporal. The man didn't say a word. He put down his stuff walks over to the soldiers and begins to help them build the wall. And several hours goes by of him helping them build the wall, and the corporal never moved. So several hours later, when the wall was finished, the man again in civilian clothes walks back to the corporal. And I've got the quote. I'm going to show you here in a second. This is, this is the quote of what the man said. The man said, the next time you find you do not have enough to do a task and enough men to do it, you come directly to me, your commander-in-chief, George Washington, and again, I will help you 
again. It was George Washington, President George Washington. Walked up. He could have walked up and said, son, I'm the president and you better get to work. And the guy probably would have fallen over in, in fear and, and run and done it. But he didn't. Now, the fact that George Washington had some meekness and humbleness about him and went and served those people did not in any way impugn or reduce his authority, his power. Yet he still ex exercises that power by coming back to the man. And can you imagine? This is like the... Y'all remember that show? Um, oh, what's the show about where the bosses go undercover? Undercover boss? You know some hind ends puckered up when he's like... I had a great uncle. My great uncle was a colonel. I think he was a colonel in the Pentagon. And I remember walking around with him a little bit. And when he would walk into a room, people would snap. I was like, I thought as a kid it was awesome. Because you open the door and everybody stands up. Or like in a general or a high-ranking officer comes in. Everybody jumps to attention. George Washington had that ability, yet he, he served. The Bible has many examples of meekness. If you remember in the Old Testament, Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, ended up as the figurehead in charge in Egypt. And then his brothers went through a famine, so they came to Egypt to get food. Joseph recognized who they were, and instead of having them executed for selling him into slavery... He feeds them, takes care of them, welcomes them in. John the, John the Baptist, who the Bible actually tells us that John the Baptist was baptizing more people than Jesus. He was affecting number-wise more at that time. But look what John says in John chapter 3, verse 30. He's talking about Jesus. He said, he must become greater, and say this with me, and I must become Less and This is the guy who's talking about Jesus, the guy he's serving, but he's doing more, and he's saying, no, it's not about me. It's about the less of me and the, and the more of Jesus coming in me. And I don't know, this was a new thought to me, and this is a friend of mine, uh, I stole this from, but I think it's really true. Meekness is not a personality trait. I, I'm really starting to believe this is true. Meekness is not, you may be born with some quietness, some reservation, some, you may be a loner, not like to be around a lot of people, you may be reserved, but I don't think meekness is something you're born with, and I'll, I'll show you why in a minute. See, I think it's a character trait. Read over and over in the Bible and God tells us, hey, I'm not worried about, I'm not really as concerned about your comfort your fun as I am your character. You becoming more like me. All of us taking one step from where we are, one step closer to where God wants us to be. It's different from shyness, reserve, recluse. Meekness is, and this is why I say it's, it's a character issue, because the Bible is clear that meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. Meekness is a product of our lives produced by the Holy Spirit. It's something that is, is raised in us. It's a result of something. The Bible says in Galatians 5, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, and it names all these. You may have heard these before. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And then it continues on and it uses these two words, or three, I guess, hyphenated. Gentleness and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. Well, if you jump in and really study it, and we're not today, but the fruit of the Spirit is the Bible says that God puts His Spirit on the inside of us when Jesus, when we receive Jesus. And the result of that is there are things that grow off of us. Here's the truth of the matter is, you produce fruit whether you have the Holy Spirit or not. Some of the, the fruit without God is not fruit you want people partaking of. It's not the good stuff. But your life is putting off something. We are, there is a crop that comes off of me, a life, and it's either a good thing or a bad thing. But the good things, the Bible says, is because the result of God being internal in me. Look what Jesus says this about himself. Now remember, Jesus says only what the Father shows him and tells him to do. This is Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary, and carry these heavy burdens, who, who have these issues that you can't solve. And he says, I'm going I'm to give you rest. I'm going to help you out with it. He says, Take my yoke upon you. Yoke was simply what we would use, like when they used to put the yoke over an ox to, to tow a plow. That was the big thing that went over their necks. He says, You can take mine, and you're still going to have a little bit of work to do. I think sometimes in Christianity we, we see this, and take my yoke, it's easy, means there's no work. That's not, if you're wearing a yoke, there's going to be work to do. You're sitting on the front porch doing nothing, okay, there's no work to do. But when you put on this, the Bible says there's going to be some work to do, but it's mine's light. Let me teach you because I'm humble and I'm gentle. And you're going to find something better. There's more on the table because I'm going to be able to give you rest that you can't find anywhere else. I'm going to give you this eternal thing. And see, Jesus here was demonstrating something. He was demonstrating that his humbleness, his meekness, points to who your life is submitted to. It's in your next slide there, and, and you English and uh, lit majors can tell me, this: should this be who or whom? I did not ask the boss lady this morning when I corrected this. But meekness points you to who your life is submitted to. Because it says, I have the power to do what I want to do. I have the power within me to act, but I'm waiting on the one I'm submitted to. Yet the world tells us, you don't do that. You can't, don't let anybody tell you what to do. I don't know about you, but I'm glad in my life there's been spaces in my life where somebody I allow to tell me what to do. Because if I had done it the way I thought, things would have turned out a lot different. Things would have, would have not been to my good, but because I believe, and I truly believe this, I'll give you a little insight into how I think pastors should operate. As a pastor, no matter what denomination you're in, just because you're in a denomination doesn't mean you're submitted. Submission means you're willing to take their wisdom, take somebody's advice, even when you disagree. Submission is also an authority that I'm willing to listen to that has godly impact on me. And I truly believe you can't have authority unless you're under authority. The reason a colonel has authority is because he's got a general over, over him. 
The reason a sergeant has authority is because somebody over him has authority. If not, you're just flying solo. You're making it up as you go along. And Jesus says, hey, I'm gentle. There's, I have a gentle heart, and what I'm going to do with you, it's going to be some work, but I'm going to bring you light. The Bible says, blessed are the meek. Now again, remember this word, probably sometimes better translated, um, the blessed word is translated better, an internal joy. That this yoke, another thing I was thinking about is, is this, is that um, if you've ever rode horses, I know we have a lot of horse people in our county, the bit that you put in the horse's mouth, is it a big contraption? No. It's a big horse that weighs thousands of pounds. And the last time I was on a horse, and hopefully the last time I get on a horse, was about 10 or 15 years ago, and we went to a man's house. I was visiting my family in Tennessee. We went to people's house, and um, he wanted to show me his horses. And then he said, and I grew up occasionally riding horses, so I was familiar. He said, do you want to come ride to the end of the field? And he, he was showing me this horse that was one of those horses that's worth like more than me, you know, like it's millions of dollars of a horse and it was supposed to be super trained and anyway, we get on it, I get on it and he gets on another horse and we're just casually riding to the back of this couple hundred acre property and um, all of a sudden, the, my horse's ears perk up and I knew enough to think, that's a warning sign and come to find out, the uh, one of the farm hands was back in the corral. It was actually time for them to eat. And and my dog does this. Do you ever pour food in a dog's bowl? And this man dumped a bucket of whatever into this horse's bucket that he eats out of, and his ears perked up, and he did a 180. And I covered 200 acres like that. Screaming the whole, I had, I almost had my foot up on the, the horse's head, like yanking on the bit, like stop. And it just kept right on sailing. As it got close to the barn, I realized he's not slowing down. Then I remembered, hey, when he backed this horse out of the stall, the stall was only as tall as the horse. And I'm not a math major, but I'm thinking this math ain't going to add up. And that beam over the horse corral the stall was going to meet me head on so I, I entered this thing I grabbed his grabbed the horse's neck and just did like this and I felt like I was there forever but it was probably just seconds later the man on the other horse the owner came running back came running in laughing I'm like I don't think this is funny <laughs> and he walks this is no joke he walked remember I'm yanking for all I'm worth I did everything but reach up and start boxing the thing's eyes to trying to get it to stop and this man walks in, and he takes the reins. He reaches back and takes the reins and just does that like twice. And it was almost like you could hear the horse go beep, 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 and start backing up and let me off. And when I, when I was reading this about meekness, I began to really think the horse had the power. I obviously couldn't control it. Yet that horse was submitted to that owner and that man, and that man controlled that entire beast that I could not stop if my life depended on it with two tugs. 
I even asked him, how did you do that? He said, I trained him. He submitted to me. He knows what that means. He obeys. My comment was, should have told me that 30 minutes ago. <laughs> I'd have been riding back like. <laughs> but there's meekness and the power doesn't change. Jesus said, hey, this meekness, this humbleness, it's not going to take away your power. James chapter 1 says this, putting away all filthiness, overflowing all the wickedness, receive the word implanted in your life with meekness. And it's able to do something in it. I want to ask you this question. I want you to answer this internally. I'm going to ask you, do you read the Bible for what it can do for you? How many agree it does some good stuff for us, right? Or do you read it for what it can produce in you? Yeah, that's what I said when I read this. Because I was the one, I, I read it because it does something for me. But the Bible actually says here in James, no, no, no. Putting all, away, all this stuff away, all the mess in life. Receive this word with meekness. In other words, meekness, controlled power. I'm not giving up my power, but I'm letting it be planted on inside of me. And it's able to save my soul. So what is this meekness producing us? The Bible says you read it because it should produce something in you. Look again at Matthew 5, 5, the beatitude. And look at this last part. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does that mean? It means, you know, is God going to give us a piece of dirt? Do we get part of the earth? Do we all share the earth? Does, you know, is it, is it uh, you know, a symbol for something else? Well, let me tell you this real quick. This is a little Bible lesson for you. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament refers to it, it, it's what the Bible would, the Old Testament would call the promised land. Remember God's people, they're out marching around. He says, I'm trying to get you to the promised land. For our eternal future, which is what the New Testament deals with, it's talking about heaven. Actually, the word that the Bible uses, it talks about a new earth. And the short of that is when Jesus comes, and returns for us, we go to heaven. The Bible says we're out of here. Long story short, the earth is destroyed and God recreates what is called the new earth. And we actually don't spend eternity in heaven. We actually spend all of eternity on earth, in the new earth. More complicated than you probably cared about, but that's what it's talking about. And then there's the right now. What I like to call the nasty here and now. Life on earth. And when this says that you're going to inherit the earth, it's, going, it's referring to something that we need now. And I want to show it to you here. And This is the, in Psalm 37. It says, Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. I mean, you know, it's hard to do. Especially if you're like me. It's hard to do. I don't like to wait. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. In other words, I can't explain why... Terrible people win the lotto and make millions of dollars, and I can't, I can't, I don't know. But this says I'm not supposed to worry about it. That when they carry out all their wicked schemes, in verse 8, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, because when you do, it only just makes, leads you to more evil. And in verse 9, for those who are evil, they got it coming. God says, I'll handle that. 
But those who hope in the Lord will do what? I got something for you. Now, I don't know. There are some of us that maybe you have inheritance. Maybe you've received it. Maybe you have a rich uncle. If you do, we'll help you write million. We'll help you spell that out when your uncle decides to give you your inheritance. But we see this word and it's like, inheritance means it's coming. But it says we need something now. Look what happens in verse 10. It says, a little while and the wicked, they're going to be no more. Though you'll look for them, you're not going to be able to find them. God's going to deal with them. But the meek will inherit the land. And then there's this big and. And enjoy something. What? Say this with me. Enjoy peace and prosperity. You want to know how to produce, what meekness produces? Remember we said it's the pro- produces, our lives are producing meekness because of the Holy Spirit in us. Meekness produces something, though, in us. Meekness produces, the Bible tells us, an abundance of peace. Why? It's because you're submitted to the one who's in control, not trying to do it yourself. We don't live our lives in panic and turmoil trying to do something that we can't control. I talk to more people, more Christians whose lives are miserable because of this one simple thing. You're trying to fix something you can't fix. You're trying to control something you can't control. You may have heard me say before, I've told people, listen, you want to go out and try it your way, go ahead. But you're going to be back. Why? Because you can't do it on your own. You can't pay for your own sin. You can't settle the thing in you that's trying to get back to the one who created you. Only God can do that. And you can keep trying, but it just doesn't work. You see, Jesus demonstrated something. He demonstrated responding to people with grace, mercy, and compassion. To the, to the people that the world says deserve death and they deserve my wrath. This out of control anger. But meekness is the opposite of that. Think about Jesus. If you know the story of Jesus, we, we talk about it on Palm Sunday before Jesus was put on the cross for me. The Bible says he rode into Jerusalem as the king... But what did he ride on? Was he on that big stallion that took me for a run across the field? Was he riding in with, you know, like 52 horses pulling a chariot with some maybe some, you know, 24s and some fat rims on it and stereo bumping into town? No. The Bible actually says he sends his disciples to go in and find this donkey that had never been ridden on that was just tied up, sitting on a post, waiting on him. He could have come in in any fashion he wanted. The Bible said he was fully God. If he wanted to, he could have floated himself right down the street, freaked them all out, but he didn't. Because he was humble and because he was submitting, God said, do it this way. That's the way Jesus did it. He was submitted totally to the Father. And we're going to close with this. And as Isaiah 53.7. Ushers, you guys can do your thing. Let me read this to you. This is out of the, the message uh, paraphrase version. I just want you to just internalize this. Kind of block out everybody moving around you. It says he was beaten and tortured. This is thousands of years before Jesus showed up. This is a prophet saying this is exactly what's going to happen. And he nails it. He's talking about Jesus. He was beaten and he was tortured. 
but he didn't say a word. He could have responded to anyone who spit on him, smacked him, hurt him. He could have just pointed at him and just evaporated him. He could have touched them and they could have dropped dead. But look what the Bible says. Like a lamb taken to the slaughter and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all and didn't say a word. In verse 10, the plan was that he would give himself as an offering. Remember, somebody's got to pay the bill for the sin that we have so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and I highlighted the last words, and more life. Jesus demonstrated this in the life he lived, but he demonstrated it even more in the life he gave up. Because his meekness gave you and me life. I'm convinced of this. That if we can allow the Holy Spirit to produce in us this humbleness, a gentleness, and a meekness, and show people grace, mercy, and some love when they deserve maybe a good backhand, that the same product for us that Jesus did for us, we can produce that in people. Now, we're not saving people. Don't get me wrong. The Bible says we offer them Jesus. But I think you can change some lives when we begin to say, hey, I've got the power. I've got the ability. And I could let it run amok and be overbearing. and be, But I'm going to be meek and choose to listen to God. Give me some direction to see life produced. And if you'll stand with me, I'm going to read this scripture to you. Team, you guys can come on. This is Hebrews chapter 9. At any point, Jesus could have called down angels to rescue him. Pulled him off the cross. He chose to pay the price for us. He chose to do something that would allow us to receive that inheritance. And look what Hebrews chapter 9 says. That this is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and his people. So that all who are called can actually do something. We can be a part of the inheritance. And God's promised us that. Look at this last part of verse 15. For Christ died to set them free from there's a penalty attached to what? Sin. That they committed. And he, he died so that that penalty was paid. And he demonstrated it to us over and over and over. You'll see this as we go through the rest of the Beatitudes. Jesus, his, his full purpose was to make sure we understood this. That he was there to do something. And do something that we couldn't do for ourselves. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes. I, I just want you for a minute. I'm going to pray for us. But I just feel like there's some of us in the room that need to say, God, I've kind of lost sight of this. A sight that my life is submitted to you and God if it's not then God I, I need to submit my life to you so I can be blessed I can have that joy I can experience what all these other people are and if you, that's you this morning the Bible says whether you're returning to him or meeting him for the first time the Bible says you confess him as your Lord and Savior you believe it in your heart you confess it with your mouth and then you just say God I'm sorry I, rep I repent repent just means 
change the direction. Stop doing what you're doing and turn and trust. And the meekness that Jesus is showing comes to us in grace and mercy and truth and lets our lives be changed forever. And if that's you this morning, the Bible simply says, again, it's a simple prayer right where you are. Something like this. Why don't you just pray this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, today I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, God, for forgiveness. I'll follow you. I give you my life. Thank you, God, for loving me. In Jesus' name. Now for the rest of us. My prayer today, and as I studied this, I, that story of George Washington just kept going over in my mind. In that story, you could be one of three people. You could be one of the people who's just following orders, doing the work. You could be the corporal who has the power to help, but is too high and mighty to serve. You could be the guy, George Washington, who had all the power, all the authority, yet he still got in and helped. And as I was thinking about it this week, how many times have we had the ability to be, quote, the bigger person, and yet accepted just doing the work, or even worse, accepted being holier than now? And I'm just going to encourage you, as the pastor of this house, and again, if you're visiting, you know, next week, go back to your church. You go serve your church, but you can take this with you. I want us to leave here knowing that I, I could walk by here. I have the authority, and maybe you even have the moral rightness to, to not do something, not help, to not participate. But God, today I'm going to serve. I'm going to take off my jacket, and even if everybody else isn't doing it, I'm going to go serve the people that you sent your son to die for. What a testimony of a church. That those people, they could do anything they wanted to. But they chose to show I'll give you a good example, the, the soup kitchen. But they chose to show up and deliver plates of food to people that you may never see again. I think that's how we change the world, guys. I think that's how Scriven County sees the love of Christ, is when the church begins to say, we could do other things and take care of ourselves, but we're, we decide to put you first. Amen? We go give people hope. I'm going to pray, and we're actually going to sing this song, that, God, you're my living hope. You're alive and well, and I can look to you, and I have hope because you came for me. Amen? God, I thank you. As we prepare our hearts, we just let the word sink in today. God, as we prepare to leave and go enjoy dinner and lunch and just a beautiful afternoon outside. God, prick our hearts that your Holy Spirit would produce that meekness in us when we come across someone. You, you send them across our path that we can then bring life to them. We can then serve them. God, we can do what you've asked us to do. God, help us to be obedient. Help us to serve. God, with humbleness and gentleness, showing people grace and mercy. And we thank you for it now, Father. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.